you are live on big no you're live on channel four please do not swear oh you can swear as much as you want honestly you can Daddy, ma, the pancho, the atusas, the pan, the land, the kalen, the agu kalen, the tosi, jaka dejvado, pesali, kurti, harams, and the. You don't yet. Welcome to two chickpeas in a podcast. You're so comic here. It's a girlfriend. And it's a, it's a rude boy on here. It's a rude. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I need to get comfortable with this. I need to get comfortable with it. Comfy. This is this is the kind of uh, this is the kind of shit I love, Mike. I, I got a Kit Kat and a glass of water. Actually, <laughs> a looking kind of glass of water. And now you're comfy. Hey, so this is the podcast, yeah. <laughs> no, but really, guys, this is the podcast. This is two chickpeas in a podcast. It's your girl Nikita. It's your girl Tash. And you're listening to Two Chickpeas in a podcast. The LGBTQ series continues. We've spoken to a number of amazing guests. And the whole point of this series is to try and unearth stories that you may have never heard before when it comes to LGBT issues. Maybe, you know, the theme of it is something you think you know, but really, honey, do you know? You don't know. We don't know. And we still don't know. And that's why we're talking to Hakeem today. He's joining us via Zoom. Hi, Hakeem. How's it going, girls? How's it going? (laughs) (laughs) Real good. Same different day. Uh, I'm glad you're on this with us today because I feel like your story is so important. Um, it's, it's a different one, you know. Normally, we have people or the episodes that we've we've already done. Um, and when you just hear in general, like people are like, "Yeah, like I've come out and it was hard," or "I'm really happy" and and stuff like that. But yours is a, is, a, is a unique story because you've been through uh, something that you know. I guess I guess a lot of people wouldn't think that people who are gay or, or lesbian or bisexual actually go through, they have, they still go through relationship problems, traumas, um, violence. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit different and I'm, I'm glad. So thank you for joining us and thanks for sharing your story. No, I appreciate you girls having me, it means a lot. Thank you. No, anytime. So just to be really clear for our listeners, Hakeem, and you can you can correct me if I'm wrong, Hakeem, mm-hmm. but is it fair to say that you were in an abusive relationship for the last what, eight years? Mm-hmm. Been? For the last two years, I think I've come to accept it. And definitely in the last two months, I've come to realize um, it's true, you know, it's true form, the ins, the outs. Um, so definitely, I think now I can reassure myself in a way that um it was an abusive relationship to say the least yeah yeah and was it with someone that you feel like you were so in love with or kind of like by the end of it you were just kind of living in fear it's interesting yeah because we met so seven years ago uh we're going back to when I was in uni and um you know I went to uni in Birmingham uh, a very very Asian uni 
um, as a lot of people do. You kind of escape one Asian community uh, elsewhere in the UK and you end up thinking you're moving to another city to start a new life. And actually all you do is you move to another Asian community. And that's exactly what I did. Yeah. And through uni, it was interesting because I wasn't entirely sure um, about my uh, own sexuality. And so for the first couple of years of uni, I was sort of trying to fit into a new community of people that I hadn't met before. In my head, I was reinventing myself, but in effect, I really wasn't. And so all I ended up doing is chilling with crowds of people who I thought were like me. Mm-hmm. And through that, I ended up, if I'm honest with you, in my words, being a bit of a nuisance at uni, I kind of stayed away from committing. I was meeting up with girls at uni. So I never had a relationship at uni. But my first year, for example, I was dabbling with girls, but I was dabbling with guys, like low key. I was covering it up all the time. I would be making my plans with guys, sort of evading plans with girls. And it was a very weird thing. It spiraled out of control to a point that in my second year of uni, I got to a point where I really wasn't happy with that. It was confusing me a lot because I was literally at a point where what I was getting up to with girls or going on dates with girls or flirting with girls, it was almost in a way just to please the crowd that I was in. So the other boys wouldn't say anything, you know, the boys I would chill with, so they wouldn't batter an eyelid towards me. Because as far as they were concerned, above water level, um, I'm doing just what they're doing. But it got to a point where I felt sick of it. And at that point is when my ex walked into my life. And ironically, my ex walked into my life in a way which to me is so atypical for someone in my community. What I mean by that is a lot of people use apps, dating websites, these sorts of things, yeah? But for myself, it was like a trip down like the movie route because I was working in retail in Birmingham and this person was a customer, literally walked through the door one day. But it just so happened that they they bought some stuff, got talking to me as like, a, in a weird way, as like a bro, yeah? And then over the, the coming weeks, they would come every weekend, return those items, buy some more the following weekend, return them items, buy some more just to talk to me. Eventually, skipping, skipping ahead a little bit, I ended up on the app one day thinking, can I find this person? And the very first person that messaged me when I downloaded this app, it was him saying, are you the guy from that shop? Bingo. So to me, I very quickly became infatuated thinking this is a person who is like me, but there's something about them that I like in a way that I admire, I'm attracted to, and it's, it's intriguing. So I very quickly became infatuated with that, as you would, right? You finally think you found your equal. This is somebody that is similar to me, that I can relate to. They're the same faith as me as well. You know, I'm a Muslim at that point in time. I was really distant from my faith. And um, it was simultaneously, actually, that I was thinking about that too. So whilst I was having all these issues contemplating my sexuality and why I was acting out in the way that I was. I was then thinking at the same time about the distance that I had 
um, developed between myself and my faith. So that was quite a personal thing, maybe at that point, even more personal to me than my sexuality. And so I started seeing this guy almost every day. And it, it started becoming a thing whereby for a night out at uni, you know, he'd be the one that would come pick me up from Broad Street with my mates. And I always just introduce him as like, this is my mate, this is my mate. My mates actually grew to love him. You know, they really liked him, really got along with him because they wouldn't think anything else of it. And for me, once again, that just felt even more perfect because you're living out what effectively is a fantasy. It doesn't exist in reality. It's something that is compartmentalized. I've got control over it. I've kind of been able to choose when it starts and when it ends. I go to uni, I'm one way. I finish uni, I'm walking back from my lecture, messaging, messaging, them, messaging them or on the phone to them. And that, once again, was exciting. It turned out that very quickly into things, it started to snowball into something even bigger. Within only a few months of knowing them, I kind of, you know, here's a bit of a, a sort of media insert, Hollywood insert. It was kind of the pretty woman effect because a few months into it, I was whisked away on a holiday for my birthday. It was a birthday present to go to an amazing country that I've always dreamed of going to, to an amazing city. And it was during that holiday that he asked me, you know, do you want to be, would you be my partner? Do you want to be exclusive? And I, I just rolled with it. I was like, okay, you know, that sounds good to me. I'm happy if you're happy, you know? And how do you not say yes to that? You know, you give me any young 20 year old, 19 year old, sorry, who uh, actually, how was that? Yeah, 20 years old, who's put in that position. You're sitting in an amazing hotel far away and you're thinking, yeah, this is life. This is my life right now. Yeah, and you're probably like, oh, like, oh, like smitten. And you're like, oh my God, yeah. this is me. You know, so many people dream of that. And I'm thinking, I've got it and I'm a guy. Yeah. So I'm putting two fingers up to the world in a way being like, haha, I win. <laughs> and I grabbed it with two hands. And I think that is when I started to kind of hand over a bit of the reins, the reins of me guiding things for myself, the decisions for myself, because in effect, it was a payment. Thank you for giving this to me. I'm gonna give you all of me now. Once again, it was like playing to this fantasy in my head that I, I, was, I, was, I was figuring it out as I was going along. I was like, okay, so this is someone who's a couple of years older than me. There's an age gap of about six years. So I was thinking to myself, they're a bit more older. They're a bit more established. They've got a reputable job. They're a good person. This is it. I don't need to be on the edge with who I'm meeting the terms that I'm meeting them on, um, I can just be me. And so that ultimately then led to the first wave of changes that only years later did I realize. So by this point, we're going into being together for over six months and it's still that honeymoon period. We're still very secretive, you know. Um, I'm still introducing him to loads of my mates 
some of my own family, um, you know, cousins and what have you, introducing him as my mate, getting him to be involved in certain things. Because ultimately, I felt like I was pulling the strings. I mm. thought, you know, this is me. I'm in control of this perfect life of mine, naive as I was, um, and really and truly ignorant as I was, because I clearly wasn't well-read in understanding relationships because of my young age, and also certain signs within relationships that can be ultimately showing a very clear sign that something isn't right, that something is unhealthy. And so towards the end of the first year of our relationship together, I started making different choices. What I mean by this is, for example, I used to drink quite a lot. Every night out, I'd be running around the club doing the most stupidest things, pissed off my face. And I then started to choose not to drink bit by bit. I started swapping out. People would ask me, hey, you know, don't you want a shot? Don't you want your standard cranberry and vodka? Don't you want your Red Bull and vodka? And I would start saying, no, I'm okay. Now I'm not complaining, it's a good thing. I was saving money, right? I wasn't waking up with a hangover the next morning. So in some ways I was winning at life, but in other ways I wasn't. I'd be on these nights out with him. So he started accompanying me on every night out. Mm. Wherever I go with my mates, he would come with me. Once again, as my boy. And actually people started inviting him too, mm. because this day is this great guy. Bring him with you. We want both of you to come along. But when we'd be out together, he'd say, for example, you know, um, if you stop drinking, I'll stop smoking. And at that point, he used to smoke a lot of cigarettes. And I used to think, you know what? You damn right stink of cigarettes. It might be a good thing. Mm. So, all right, I'll keep my end of the bargain if you keep yours. So once again, I'm like, okay, I'll just stop drinking then. I'll just do what you say. I'm all right. That's good. Sounds like a good deal. Translating that as compromise. So to me, I'm compromising. I'm doing a good thing according to the textbook of relationships. And I stopped drinking. He didn't stop smoking. Mm, he phrased it as, uh, oh, I was just seeing if you would do it. I didn't think you would. But now that you've done it, it's better, isn't it? You don't drink anymore. So you've now realized you don't need to drink to have a good time. So I've done you a favor. That's good. It's different between need and want as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, I definitely don't need a drink to have fun, but yeah. I yeah. want to have a drink, not to have yeah. fun because I want a fucking drink. Do you know? Yeah. I get that completely. Yeah, exactly. Where it doesn't seem like your partner at the time did, he's obviously no. displaying this very controlling and manipulative behavior as well. It was very clever. It was very clever because it's almost like it was done in those subtle ways which are overlaid by good, mm. right? So you buy into the goodness of it because you think, hey, he's helping me to stop drinking. I guess that's a good thing, right? Because it's bad for my body, bad for my wallet, no hangovers. It, it seems like he's rain. put it in your head that maybe you are drinking too much and it, does, it just sounds like you're being any other young person. Yeah. Yeah. Which is true. Which is true. I was being told you know, I drink too much, et cetera, et cetera. All of that good stuff, as we were all told. But I was buying into it, believing it. Like, yeah, he's got a point. 
It then led to friends of mine starting to pick up on what appeared to be me becoming, and this is a, this is a word which is used quite broadly, and depending on who's listening, they may interpret it differently. So I'll explain as well. People started seeing me or viewing me as becoming more conservative, and they started wondering why. These are my closest friends. So my close small group of circle, uh, my close group of friends were wondering, why is Hakeem becoming so conservative all of a sudden? What's gotten into him? Especially the ones that I wouldn't see regularly, but I would talk to. Because when I see them, they'd start saying, hey, what's gotten into you? Like, since when did the, you know, but since when did you stop drinking? Since when did you stop dressing in a particular way? And what I mean by that is at one point, you know, when I was working in retail, I used to love, you know, doing the, doing the extra for a night out, dressing a bit more, you know, uh, I don't know. I like to think at the time I was dressing quite good. You know, I've seen a few of the photos from the club back then. I look quite decent, if you ask me. I kind of reined it in a little bit. I started doing a few more buttons up on my shirt. You know, I, I started wearing uh, looser trousers, for example. Just little, little things. It sounds ridiculous at this point. But those were things that were part of me back then. Yeah. It wasn't me that ultimately was deciding to change that. Had I been leading that and driving that car, fine, there's no problems with it, right? But when someone else is slowly but surely convincing you, not all at the same time, but with these weird intervals, you, without realizing, when you add them up, you've actually made quite a lot of changes yeah. and it could be to your day-to-day -day routine. So for example, even going as far as hair product, I used to style my hair, I used to put product in it, etc. Slowly, I withdrew from that. I used to wear particular types of aftershaves. I actually withdrew from those sorts of aftershaves and started wearing the kind that they were into. Now, a lot of us do this for our partners because we ultimately want to beautify ourselves in a way that's going to be attractive, right, to our significant other. So I was, once again, not realizing that I wasn't doing it for that purpose. Mm -hmm. I, because I was being told, actually, the perfume that you wear is quite off-putting. Uh, actually, you should wear these sorts of ones. These are more you. Smell it. Don't you agree? Of course, we like to please our partners, as I've just said. Yeah. So to say, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm going to do that, actually. And then I start wearing it with pride, thinking, well, he likes me, so it doesn't really matter. Because at the end of the day, it's what he thinks, which is important to me, because I want his approval. I want him to value me in a way no one else does and at that point my self-esteem that really helped we start moving on friends of mine have left stopped talking to me backed away found me confusing found me a bit antisocial not understood why I seem to be not myself mm -hmm. or at least why it seems like I'm hiding things and all I was doing of course was hiding this relationship but this relationship which had taken over mm -hmm. a lot of time literally that a lot of time time that used to be mine which I would divvy up as I wanted was now on his timetable when I've got classes what my downtime looks like what my study time looks like being dropped to uni being picked up from uni being dropped to the library in the evening being picked up from the library in the evening so on so forth 
So now we're moving on from a year. We're looking at two years has gone by, moving towards year three. Now, there came a point where I started thinking, is this the relationship for me? Sometimes we get to that point in a relationship where we start thinking, did I make the right choice? Is there better out there? You know, um, I've changed a lot since I met since I met him. Maybe there's someone else out there that's more suitable for me now than he is. You know, you, you start looking a little bit, you know, someone walks down the road that looks all right. You kind of look twice, but you don't do anything. And um, that was playing on my mind for a while, even though on the face of it, I was in what people would describe at the time as a perfect relationship. We were involved in a, a circle of friends on his side that he trusted. It's quite a few of them. And there are other gay, Asian, uh, Asian and black um, people from uh, Birmingham and uh, mainly Birmingham actually. And so there was quite a few of us, we used to chill together. And I was slowing down, chilling with my mates in any capacity. I started going onto just calls and WhatsApps and Snapchats with my mates keeping some kind of communication at least. But on my social media, it looked like I was having an amazing time, which I was. I was with their mates, everyone liked me. Everyone thought we were an amazing couple together. I then came to a point where I was looking for a placement for uni. And I managed to get a placement in Madrid. Now, when I went to Madrid, I thought, yeah, you know what? The distance will be good. It might give me some time to to you know, reflect on the relationship. I'll come back stronger, if anything. So I went to Madrid for my placement and within a couple of days, I had downloaded the app. I, I, I mean, look at me, I refer to it as the app because I'm so used to not even saying the name, mm. but I grind up when I was in Madrid. And funnily enough, most people were asking if I speak Spanish and I was like, no, I don't speak Spanish, I only speak English. Um, and that lost me a lot of <laughs> a lot of hits, I tell you that much. Mm-hmm. Um, I deleted it because I didn't feel right. Something didn't sit right in my stomach, so I left it. It turns out that something happened in Madrid which led me to coming back. I didn't have a good time. When I got back, I thought, yeah, I had my time away. Mm-hmm. I thought I was going to act on cheating mm-hmm. the app. But I didn't. I'm all right now. I'm good. Well, what happens next? You know, he um, eventually went through my phone and saw my app history on the Apple Play, the Apple Apple Store, and saw that I had downloaded at some point or or another. Mm. Mm. Of course, that was the first time that all hell broke loose. Naturally, you're going to be pissed. You are going to be pissed. You're going to be angry because ultimately you think your partner's cheated on you. There's going to be emotions that you react with that. But there has to be a line, right? There has to be a line at which you think to yourself, anything beyond this as a reaction, we're going into a territory that we don't want to go into as human beings. We want to stay away from that. But unfortunately not. I didn't do anything about it either. It came with physical abuse, getting slapped around a little bit, you know, um, a lot of comments, a lot of comments. 
and not being able to forget that ultimately that's what you did. So you tell me, how do you expect to move on from that if you are not being a, you're not being allowed to because at every so often there'll be a reminder to say, but in Madrid, but you did this, but we need to stay together. Fundamentally, we have to stay together, but just remember what you did in Madrid. That slowly but surely, and I'm gonna brush over that, that particular instance because it builds up to ultimately what's happened most recently. But those instances don't allow anyone to heal. Not the person that's been hurt by the action and certainly not the person that has done the, uh, you know, done the, the action, right? So the cheater and the one that's been cheated on, even though there's but nothing. Cheat? But did you cheat? You downloaded an app. And, but I didn't cheat. And so also, I mean, sometimes people download, like, if I was you and I went to Madrid, I would download um, Grinder to find people who are, like, gay to maybe hang out with and talk to, like, because that would make me feel a bit safer being in a country that I'm not aware mm. of, you know, if someone from... Yeah. You know, your background, um, you know, you can find them in that city. Imagine you found, like, mm. another Asian person who was also right. gay in Madrid. Like, yeah. how much more comfortable would that make you being someone mm. new when you know absolutely no one? And that's, yeah. like, really plausible. Like, yeah, grinders like, used to, you know, meet people for... Mm you know being more than friends but that's that is also like a big possibility do you know what I mean like what app would yeah. you download to find someone specific like you yeah in another <laughs> city do you know what I mean it's not like you yeah. can like you yeah, know on Facebook he wasn't doing it for that he wasn't doing it to find a friend yeah I know I know that but he still didn't do anything untoward do you know what I mean he's still yeah no but I get I get okay I get that you you what you downloaded it and you wanted yeah. to you know maybe just dibble I was exploring that. right yeah. uh, at the time it was literally like you taken a coke bottle shook it loads and then taken the lid off it was just like I don't know what's happening right now but it's exciting and I want to see what happens yeah I don't know it before but yeah. I've got it yeah. you know I, I've in a way I've pressed the red button when no one's when everyone said don't press it mm. and I want to happens now yeah well so I definitely you know Nikki's right I didn't act upon it um I downloaded it I looked around but then my conscience kicked in yeah and I, at the time I personally just felt guilty I felt personally that I had made a poor moral choice so I went back on it and I deleted it mm. yeah. so obviously after the sort of situation that that brought up the relationship of course wasn't the same after that Mm. in our minds we thought we would have to make it work because what we have is too good to lose so months go by at this point I'm um, at home back in London with the family looking for a new placement and because uh, Madrid was in January of that year um, by the summer I moved to Leeds so I get a placement which was meant to be in London but um, just last minute, the company actually decided, right, we need it to be in Leeds now. Off you go. So I went. Once again, the move to Leeds itself, whilst I thought to myself, this is an opportunity for me to um, 
you know, to grow as an individual. It's a placement year. People always talk about when you go on an industrial placement, how you learn so much, you come back with all these skills about being independent as well as working, as well as academic. But from the get-go, it was his planning. The property I moved into, he chose it. I said, yeah, that's fine, I like it. But whilst he was overlaying it with the conversation of I'm helping you, I'm helping you. It was more, I'm helping you, but I know best. What I'm helping you to get right now is ultimately gonna be the best thing for you. And if you don't realize that now, you'll realize later on, it's okay. That mentality now, when I look back, honestly, it twists my stomach yeah. because I, oh, I know so many people that go through that. Like I know people so close to me that have lived through relationships like that, whether it's short term or long term and have kids even. That and you wouldn't necessarily think about it in your yourself do you know what I mean like you always think these things like happen to other people or you know other people this happens to you and because you know that you think okay like I'll have an inkling like if this was to ever happen to me like I'll know right. you don't you like Absolutely. when you're involved with someone and you have feelings you know like emotions and feelings towards someone you know that clouds your judgment when you have someone as manipulative as as your partner was being who you know your gut is probably telling you like oh this doesn't feel right or this isn't like that yeah. but he's he's like you know physically telling you oh I'm helping you or I'm yeah. doing this to you and then you, your brain gets confused to be like okay like my gut feels off but like you know he's telling me he's helping me so I'm just gonna have to like take that and and you know, ignore my silly feeling and move on but yeah, that's why I can't stand men like this either, man. And then they complain about crazy bitches. Trust me. You're a crazy bitch yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Trust me, trust me. Um, you know, in particular, when there's, uh, just off the back of what you're saying as well, particularly, it stands out more, in a way, obviously, when there's a clear power difference as well. And what I mean by this is, I'm 5'9". You know, I've got a, a slim build, I'm decent looking. I'm about an eight and a half out of ten. You uh, fine, boy. You fine. You fine. Just saying. Just saying. You know. Um, but then he was about six foot, six one, built big. You know, learned, very well educated, and in a well in a in a good standing in life. So to me, I will shrink myself down and put me in my place where I fit in proportion to mm -hmm. because I'm not there yet. But if I'm gonna get anywhere like he is, then ultimately he knows best. Like a lot of people put themselves into that, uh, compare themselves in this way, whether they're gay or straight or whatever they might be, whether they're male, female or anything in between. Literally, it's something that so many people do in a relationship is establish where does the power lie and who has it and for what reasons. And we start effectively playing, playing tops trumps, you know, who's got the stronger cards. And that person really is like the one that we will lean on more. And I know that ultimately we try and establish an equal balance. That's the, that's the you know, the, um, the optimal mm -hmm. level of understanding that we create a balanced playing field. But in reality, so many people aren't anywhere near that. Mm -hmm. 
thankfully more people are now and hopefully conversations like this help to get people to that point as well. So with that said, I spent a year in Leeds. For that time, every weekend, he would come up, he'd drive from Birmingham to Leeds, he'd make sure that he was there every weekend without fail um, so that we could spend every weekend together. My days at work were interesting because whilst I'd be working in a different city, I'd be stay keeping in touch with him all throughout the day, all throughout the day. I'd be working, but messaging, snapping. It was almost the hour, every hour without fail. And if there were gaps of a couple of hours, it would be slightly awkward. What happened? How comes you were gone for so long? Was it really that busy at work? You must be tired now. You probably would just want to go home and go to sleep. These sorts of comments. And when it came to after work plans, if I did manage to get any in, in that year, and I mean after work plan as go for a tea meal in a restaurant around the corner, mm -hmm. um, it'd be either or it would be not being able to go at all. You know, that would be the other alternative. Mm -hmm. Or even then it would be a case of going, but keeping in touch constantly, sending a photo of what I'm eating, mm -hmm. sending a photo of who I'm with as group selfie because I want to take a record of the great time I'm having because I want to show, look, I'm with no one that's going to cause any harm. And once again, this is something I know that there are people out there that do this and go through the exact same thing. And I, I, I'm thinking back now and I'm, I think to myself, honestly, bloody hell, that was me at one point as well. Who would have thought? In Leeds, eventually, I got a bit sick of it. I did. And I went back on something I said I wouldn't do. And I downloaded the app again. I knew the consequences from the first time. I knew the risks. But, but you're I... obviously not feeling, you know, love that you should be feeling that you're seeking it from somewhere yeah. else, that you even have that temptation, you know? Right. I mean? There's something there, right? There's something there that isn't clicking which is making me contemplate doing something which from experience I know has negative consequences. And it seems like the most rational thing to do. I start talking to people and yes, whilst I was in Leeds, I cheated on my ex. Uh, on a couple of occasions, it was literally just, um, just meeting up for one thing and one thing only. And uh, even then I had programmed my brain to be like, there are certain things I will do and there's certain things I won't do because if I do those certain things, that's too much for me. That's, you know, on the, on the fence for me in my relationship. But somehow I justify doing certain things. And... I think you do when you're desperate. I think you yeah. do when you're desperate. Do you know what I mean? I think you obviously get to a point of where you're being pushed. But the thing is, because your mind is so confused and, like, he is not giving you any space to sort of think and breathe and reflect you know he's just constantly filling your head and mm. then that's all that's there and then you get desperate and then you know you did what you did in Leeds but I think quite understandably do you know what I mean and and I suppose like one question I have is like did this experience make you I mean it was like one thing like you said you know you you were like getting your comfort and your needs and then you know that was it but did it yeah. make you realize like was that like another turning point for you maybe like oh like the thing I'm in is is like a bit fucked or oh. it's interesting you say that because 
I would think to myself, what I'm in doesn't feel right. Mm. There's something about it that just doesn't seem right to me. But the way that I'm going to seize control of the situation is by acting out. Seize control of myself, my choices, my free will, my ability to be an independent adult. The way I went about it, morally, was the wrong way to do that. According to me, I went and cheated on my partner without him knowing there was no consent there. I just went and cheated. But at the time, it would feel very good for temporarily. I'd feel good about myself temporarily. Yeah, exactly what you said. You gave yourself freedom and control again, which is obviously something yeah. that you, you hadn't had in such a long time. Yeah. And it probably wasn't even the cheating feeling. It was just like, you know what? It's something that he can't fucking control yeah. and say what he's doing. Do you know what I it's mean? It's something that is purely mine. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's where, like, he he sees it as cheating. And, yeah, it is, it is definitely a technical cheat. But then yeah. when you, you know, unearth all of that, it is just, like, you, you had to do that to just, you know. To feel something feel, that was yours. Yeah, yeah it's, not, it's not enough to maybe go to a restaurant by yourself or whatever, do something that's not going to harm your relationship. You know, you, you could mm. probably still do those things. You needed to do Right, something. exactly. It's almost like I wanted to do something bold. That it was your choice, like yeah. The ultimate seizing of my own back. It's something as intimate and personal as that, which for me was fulfilling feeling. So it's not going on dinner on my own or going to dinner with someone else. Mm. It, I'm going to hook up with someone, mm. partner knowing. And to me, that fulfilled the need at the time of this is mine. This is personal. He can't touch this. Yeah. I did feel shit afterwards that feeling of you know euphoria mm. it didn't last very long mm. by the time I go to sleep that same day I'd feel so shit I feel so horrible about myself mm. what honestly am I why am I doing this again I learned the first time I was slapped about the first time I was called names the first time I mean I was driven to a service station mm. in London and Birmingham at night in my, what used to be like basketball shorts, a vest and a hoodie, a gray hoodie, and had a lit cigarette held over my eye whilst I was screaming and smacking the doors and kicking because that time I hadn't even cheated, but they suspected at that time. that, And that was a repercussion of the grinder incident in Madrid. This was months later thing the concept of cheating was so prevalent in the relationship that even when I wasn't I was being abused I was being uh labeled as that I, I think being... it makes even more sense now why you did that because if he's gonna act that way when you haven't done anything then why why shouldn't you just do something you're gonna get the same kind of treatment do you know what I mean that is it's almost like I'm gonna lose anyway yeah it's just like I no matter what I do like this is gonna happen to me so I might as well just fucking do it do you know what I mean that that must have mm -hmm. been like a rebellious thought in your mind like I don't mm -hmm. know it it's like eating me alive a little bit. <laughs> just, I just and you. <laughs> I never, I never thought of it that way. To be honest, I think you you said that quite well. It's like no matter what, I am gonna lose anyway. Mm. So does it really matter if yeah. I or not? He doesn't believe me anyway when I say he like, doesn't believe me anyway. Yeah. So I might as well get something out of this before the next time 
yeah loads right so at the end of that year i moved back to birmingham he didn't know that year about the cheating mm. i managed to at least in my head get away with it mm. back to birmingham finished my final year of uni um i moved into his house mm. this, i lived in my flat in leeds before that was at uni in halls the final year of uni his family actually invited me to live in his house. They had a room. They said it was spare. Said, come live with us so that you don't need to go back to those uni halls. They're no good for you. So it wasn't even him. It was his family. It was his mum and his dad. But did his family here. know you guys were together? No. And that's the crazy thing. Wow. So living there as his best friend, you know, paying, uh, you know, paying my dues. So every month I'd contribute a little bit towards the household. And I was living there. I had my own room. And by day, I'd obviously be at uni, come back. We'd be mates under the roof with the mum and dad. And um, I almost got three, three personas going on. Me in front of the family and then me alone. I'm splitting my brain three ways, practically. In that final year of uni, I, I was pretty good just continuing with the relationship going with the motions kind of just accepting it I felt like I got it out of my system when I was in Leeds but from time to time I would creep back onto Grindr just to talk so at this point I would just go on there to talk on one hand people were praising the fact I've got this amazing family we're all practicing at this point my faith was changing in the background by the way over these couple of years, I was becoming more practicing. I was becoming more guided towards my, my deen, my sense of faith. That for me is still a personal thing. But ultimately, yeah, they facilitated that. They showed me the right directions to get the answers that I was looking for. And I valued that. But is that something, is that, something that you wanted on your own? You said, you know, you said beforehand, yeah. earlier in union stuff, it was something that, you know, you wasn't really practicing as much. And then you kind yeah. of... You know, it was still important to you and stuff. Yeah, so yeah. There was all of that, you know, that was all like them, you being in the house with them, that's something that mm. you wanted and you liked that lifestyle and you liked that you guys pray together and stuff or you felt, yeah. did you feel pressured into it from your partner? So the interesting thing was with my faith from the, from the very beginning, my partner and his family were always very open to me not wanting to have any involvement. They were always willing to accept and happy to accept you are the way that you are. Mm. We are the way that we are. Mm. Uh, we will not impose anything on you and vice versa. Mm. But we can live in harmony, we can live in peace because we see good in one another. That's what matters. But over time, it was my natural um, instinct, wanting to be drawn towards my deen, towards my faith, that started enabling me to ask them questions confidently. Mm. Or that I felt like I never had anywhere to go to get the answers. I never had a religious upbringing. My family aren't very practicing either, not very religious either. I come from a very, very mixed family. And because of that, faith is something that's quite diluted in my family. Um, it meant that I had an amazing childhood, but um, ultimately it meant that as an adult coming into adulthood, I didn't really have a grasp of my own sense of faith. I could trust that the information I was gonna get would be correct, would be relevant, so I was happy with that. But what ended up happening was 
all I was doing was adding on more and more um, additional features of the relationship parts that were building onto it, that were making it more and more real in a way. It was entering, it was at a point where it was basically in the real world. It was no longer a fantasy that I was in control of. It was no longer a relationship that was an, a secret effectively because ultimately I was living day to day with my partner. I was living the life that a lot of daughter-in-laws go through. Mm. You know, you move into your partner's house, you've got the mother-in-law, the father-in-law, you've got the whole family, you've got the body part of parivar, and uh, you've then got your role to play. Not to say that I had to sit there and be brooming and cleaning and all of this stuff, but ultimately I had to respect certain boundaries. Not being used to that kind of closeness, that kind of family, that kind of setup, I started acting out again. I started thinking, no, this, this can't be, this can't be me. This can't be it. What if there's someone else better out there? What if the person that I'm meant to be with isn't him? Because for some reason, something's still drawing me away. What is it? So I downloaded the app. When I'd go to uni, I would go on it for a little bit. I would talk to people. I wouldn't meet up though. But I just wanted to talk to people. Yeah. Mm. Have a conversation with someone that just doesn't know me. Yeah. Kind of really the old feeling of the excitement, you know, being Do you feel um, like you excited. got to know yourself again. <laughs> Do you feel like you got to know yourself again from in a weird way, yeah. For other people. In a weird way, yeah. Because I I felt like there was bits of my personality which I would tuck away that would come out in the conversations mm. I would feel it like oh wait I haven't you know made a joke like that in a while or I haven't felt like that in a while but it was a it was a type of connection that I couldn't understand that kept drawing me back I came to a point towards the summer of my final year of uni when it's nearly over actually when it's just about over I decided to go for coffee with a person that I'd been speaking to on the app for a while this guy knew that I was in a relationship. I used to tell him a lot, actually, about the relationship. I used to open up about certain things. And he knew all of it. And he says, you know what? We should meet up. And so I actually did. I went to a coffee shop in town and I had a coffee for half an hour. And uh, during one of my lunch breaks, I went for a quick coffee for half an hour and came back. And I did this twice. And then I realized, no, actually, this is dangerous. This is very dangerous. I'm meeting up for a coffee. I'm talking about my relationship, but this is bad. I know what happens when I think I've gotten away with things. And boy, did I. Because it was a few months later. It was September 29th in, I think it was 2018 when we went to a birthday in London, one of my mates from back home. We went to stay in a hotel. I went and had a shower. And um, when I came back, my phone was in his hand. And he had gone through my app history, seen Grinder. I froze because I knew what was about to go down in room as we were getting ready for the birthday and it did 
So offer the questioning, slap me up, punch me in the face. I'm standing here in a towel, mind you. Um, obviously had my phone, you know, still going through it, um, logged into the grinder, going to the conversations and what have you, um, threw the iron at me. Um, I had my MacBook, my MacBook Air from work with me, uh, took the MacBook, snapped it in half, so that my MacBook Air was in two pieces, and then chucked the MacBook at me, uh, smashed the glass table, there was a round glass table in the room by the window, uh, just smashed the table, glass everywhere. He didn't even give a fuck that he's in a hotel. No, 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 this was in a hotel, yeah, yeah. At this point, security come running to the door, they're kicking in the door, mm. and he says, pretend you're having a fit. And in my head, I just thought, okay. And so when the security came in, I laid on the bed just pretending to have a fit. I just did it. I didn't think about it, just did it. And he says, oh, he's having a fit because he hasn't got his medication, but he'll be okay, he just needs some water. He fell onto the table and he broke his laptop when he fell. We're sorry, the table smashed. And they said, should we call an ambulance? And he insisted, he says, no, 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 you don't need to, this has happened before. And so that was it. They left and I was alone with him. We then proceeded to get ready and go to the birthday party at a club in central London. And because I begged to leave, I said, please, I just want to leave. This, this relationship ain't going to happen now. It can't. I'm going to go to my family in London. We're already here, so I might as well just go. Mm. He says, no, we're going to go to the birthday. And so we did. And I was made to sit at a table where the birthday was being held in the club. And uh, I wasn't allowed to dance, obviously. If you think about it, I wasn't in the mood to dance. But nonetheless, I wasn't allowed to dance. I was made to just sit and watch. And he went and had a great time with my mates from London. Ultimately, he, was at a, he had a good time. After that night out, it wasn't over. He wanted to go clubbing again. So then we go from this club to another club in London, a big, uh, a very, very big gay club in London. Once again, I stood on the side of the club in the R&B room and he just danced the night away. And he was with one of my mates who did not know anything was going on, the birthday boy himself. And they just danced and danced and danced. And I just watched. I was switched off. I was literally just watching through my eyes, but it was a different reality to me. It wasn't really happening. I did not know what the hell was going on. I had just been bussed up in a hotel room. We then went back and the next morning, when I say the next morning, we didn't sleep all night, just talking at me, talking, talking, looking for more evidence, looking for more proof. And the next morning we went outside and I said, I'm leaving this relationship. At this point, I was given an ultimatum, either A, I transfer the money that he knew I had in my account at the time was three and a half thousand pounds into his account, which 
I'll tell you about in a second. Or I out you to your mum. What do you think your mum and your auntie will think if they find out what you've done? And at that point, I was in utter disbelief, thinking, no, 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 you, you can't do that. You can't tell my mum, you can't tell my auntie. I'm thinking it's actually going to happen. So what do I do? I call Santander and I make the transaction and we label it rent. Where did that money come from? I forgot to mention at this point, I lost my job. The one that I told you about, I went to Leeds. I had in my final year, I had when I finished uni, I lost that job. Because one of the other things that I got was him contacting my company, the CFO of the company, by the way, a direct email, half four in the morning, basically saying that I am a sex addict, that I have brought into the office to have sex. And that because of the industry that we worked in, in the public sector, as a concerned consumer and partner, looking out for Hakeem's well-being, I think you should know this. I was immediately pulled into investigation. They found nothing on me. CCTV, no one's coming in and out of the office, nothing. I still lost my job because they were fearful that he would be a threat to the company and they needed to put me on guard and leave. So they paid me to leave effectively. So with that said, I lost my job and I transferred the money into his account and that would be covered for rent. I then had a one-way ticket to my parents' house. And at this point, my parents had moved from London. They left London, they actually went to the far north. Booked me a one-way ticket, took my phone, took my wallet, um, gave me just my clothes and took me to the Victoria train station, uh, coach station that morning, we haven't slept, and put me on the coach. And I did it. Why? Because I wouldn't challenge or even think about running. Mentally, I was in a position where there is no other option. I will not convince myself that I can outrun him, that I can outsmart him. In the city that I grew up in, the city that I knew better than him, I boarded the coach and went to Newcastle where my parents moved to. Why did he ask for the money? Because for the inconvenience of me no longer being in the relationship and leaving, he wanted to have enough money coming in from the rent so that he could have time to sort finances out at the house with his parents where, where he lived. That's insane. And what, and you never, I mean, it sounds like at the time, obviously, you, you know, you didn't feel confident to do like a lot of things, but surely you could have easily have, you know, just as easily outed him to his family. You know, like I've been living, you know, I'm your son's fucking boyfriend living under your yard. Yeah. Farm. You could and have for some reason, Newcastle, messaged right. his mum while he's on the yeah. way back to Burns and been like, right. I've been your son's boyfriend this whole time. He just took three and a half grand off me. Your yeah. son's fucking... Liar. And what I put it down to when I thought about it is I was in such a state of shock that mm. my brain just blanked everything out. I was now fully willing to do anything he says. Mm. I have done something so bad and I knew that this point was going to come. When I cheated, I knew this point was going to come. When I spoke to guys in my final year of uni, 
on Grinder, I knew that eventually it's going to come out and I'm going to have to pay the price. And when it did come out, it's like a switch flicked in my head and it says, right, it's showtime. And I just numbed it and just took it. And um, I mean, a perfect example of that, when I was taking punches to the face in the hotel room, each time he'd punch me, I'd fall back onto the bed. But then I'd get up again and I'd sit upright. And then he'd take another swing to my face. And I'd come back again. I was lining myself up to take the hits because I felt that that's what he was owed because that's the right thing for him to do because I have hurt him. So when I was in Newcastle, it didn't cross my mind to out him. In fact, at that point, it got to a new extreme where in Newcastle, I felt suicidal. So I started hiding in my brother's room and calling for help, um, the NHS numbers. I only found my way to my parents' house because I asked a cab person for a favor. I asked, please take me to this address because I had no wallet, I had no phone. Please take me to this address. And if you come back or if you let me go inside, I'll get the money and come back out. And the, the, the driver let me do that. And I went inside to my parents' house, got the cash, paid the driver. My parents, you can imagine Nikki and Tash, were confused. How did you get here? And I said, surprise. I just wanted to come. My parents looked at me and said, what happened to your face within minutes of me being in the house? And I said, I was planning to come and um, surprise you but when I got to Victoria Station, I was running late for my coach. So as I ran through Victoria train station up the escalator, I tripped and I fell down the escalator. And when I fell, my face was smacking against the stairs on the escalator. And my mum says, but, but how have you? And I says, no, no, mum, seriously, imagine, imagine mum, you're falling from the top of this escalator, it's metal. And you just, my face, look at it. And I laughed it off. I was making jokes about it 24 hours after it happened. And I felt like I was losing my mind at that point when I got there. And so I started calling for help. I went to my brother's room, went under the blanket at my age. I'm the eldest sibling and started calling these numbers. I was getting support from people that were just staying on the phone with me, right? They keep saying, should we call help? Should we call help? And I keep saying, no, 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 no. I don't want to cause a scene in my house. I don't want my parents to stress. I'm hiding in the bedroom because I, 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 I know that I need some help right now. But please just don't let it escalate. I'll stay on the phone until I feel a bit better. And that's what I did for a couple of days. I kept my phone on charge. I kept it on loudspeaker. I just said to my mom and dad, you know what, after the fall, I feel a bit, I feel a bit woozy. I just pretended to be sick for a few days um, and kept the phone on loudspeaker for much of the day um, to people that would listen to make sure that I wouldn't do anything stupid. A couple of days later, my ex-partner decides to knock on the door of the house in Newcastle. Oh my God. 
He's looking fresh to death, fresh trim, new garms. He's holding gifts. He smells amazing. And I'm flabbergasted. I'm completely perplexed when I open the door and he's just standing there. And he hands me the gifts and says, these are for you. And then he says, can I come in? At this point, my mum is behind me and mum says, come on then. You know, you've been driving. You didn't tell us you're coming. Come on in. And um, so, you know, he came in, sat with me and the family, had a great time. We had tea, we had food. My brothers were having a great time. My mom, my dad, all over him. And eventually he says, let's go for a drive. Oh, God. Okay. And then we went for a drive. And during that drive, we ended up going to the seaside um, a couple of miles out from Newcastle. And we spent hours there. And he was talking at me, talking at me, asking me to explain myself. And I tried, but ultimately I was the cheater. So what kind of explanation is going to justify anything? Fast forward that conversation, took me to a barber shop. I remember what I said earlier, my hair, how I used to do it. You know, I used to style it, thinking I'm all this, that and the other. And um, we went to a barber's and he says, shave your hair off. And I says, what? I'm not going to do that. He says, but what would you do for this relationship? It's just hair. It's going to grow back. So... I thought, okay. I says to the barber, just shave it off to like a you know, number one. We'll go for number one. He says, no, zero skin. Oh the barber looks at me, bearing in mind how long my hair was, right? It was in a, one of those, you know, quiff things going on. And um, the barber says, are you sure? His hair's kind of nice. <laughs> Why do you want to, are you sure you just don't want to fade it? And um, yeah, so... I just watched my hair be shaved off. And then he says, shave his beard off. And then I say, yeah, 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 do it, do it. You know, um, it's itching me anyway. I didn't have much of a beard, but I had something. I had a shape. It was there. I used to line it up myself with my cutthroat. He took the trimmer and then just did a zero. And for the first time in years, I'd seen my face and my head without hair on it. My moustache, everything was gone. The barber actually refused to take the razor and do it. He says he doesn't want me walking out of his shop with a clean face. Mm. Suit me. <laughs> we went for a walk back to the car. It was a pound store. I stood under the sign outside the window of the pound store that says everything one pound or less. And when I stood in front of it, he took a headshot, um, zoomed in. He took a headshot of my newly bald head with a sign above it that says one pound. And then he sent that to his friends. And um, that was pretty crap, but I was all right with it. I just went with it. My parents freaked out when they saw me when I came home that night, when I came home that day, to which he explained, Hakim needs a fresh start. He's been going through a lot lately. 
And he decided that actually the best way for a fresh start is when a person removes their hair. So he shaved his head and he shaved his beard so that he can grow back fresh. And hopefully he'll feel better in himself when he grows back. And he explained it so well that my parents thought, well, he's a very smart man. He's very intelligent. He must know what he's talking about. We trust him. Parents didn't say anything. They just said, you don't really suit it. As long as you wear a hat, go on then, carry on. Remember when you, I remember when you FaceTimed me. Do you remember? And I was like, what the fuck have you done? Like, what the hell have you done? Yeah. And I, at the time, I believe I was telling people, oh, I needed a fresh start. He kind of just like, he kind of just like brushed, brushed over like, oh yeah, you know me, da, da, da. And kind of just like, then the conversation was so short that I didn't even get to like, really like get, like really speak to you. Like I just, yeah. yeah. Almost like, you were like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, you know me, I'm always doing something funny. And, and I was like, you're fucking crazy. Um, I, I just was- accepted it. And I thought, I'm not going to tell anyone, right? It's not like me. It's being done for a reason. This is what I deserve for what I've done. That's why, even with you, I literally just brushed over it. Ain't a thing. Ah, he, her, make a couple of jokes. Move on. Were you scared, though? Like, were you scared to ever say what, like, what it really was? Or were you, were you always just like... Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm just gonna lie. Or, or, or did you ever feel like you 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 could you physically couldn't say it out loud? I couldn't physically say it out loud. My body and my mind were in total disconnect. I just couldn't speak about but it to anyone. Say something out loud makes it real. Do you know, even though yeah. it's real, like in your mind, mm. he's like brainwashing you, and you're somehow yeah. like cut com. Oh, I can't even say the word right now. Cop compartmentalizing. Yeah, yeah. I was compartmentalizing everything. It, it was just all being put into this space in my head and just allowed to sit there. It's just because crazy that he else. even came to like Newcastle and like yeah. forced you to get back together and then like forced you to like shave your hair. And I wouldn't say anything against it. I mean, when we were at the seaside, right? Miles out of miles away from Newcastle. And it's intimidating. It's intimidating. It is, it is, absolutely. And intimidating is the right word because, you know, I'm brushing over quite a few details, but there's still a lot to this story, you know, this whole journey. And I'm brushing over a fair few things. When we were at that beach parked up in the car, I was given an opportunity to say, look, you know, I was asked the question, if you don't want to be in this relationship, then just tell me. And I remember my first answer being, I don't want to be in it anymore. It's not for me. I, I think we're, we're not meant to be together. It's too much. His response was get out the car. I had no phone, no wallet. I was by the sea in a car park at sunset. How the hell was I gonna get to my parents? Newcastle City Centre, okay. On the beach, car park, get out the car. I refused. It was during that time, by the way, that he also outed me to my auntie. So he did out me to my auntie, called her, let her know. You know, she loved him. 
because she thought he's an amazing guy, just like everyone. Amazing guy, super cool, really knowledgeable. Thankfully, she didn't care about us being in a relationship. It wasn't a bother at all. She just says, you know, in a way I'm glad because we've always said, if they could find partners, if they could find women like each other, then they're sorted for life. And uh, so in a way she was thinking, oh yeah, perfect. But she was disappointed in what I had done. Rightfully so, she was disappointed in that. Fair enough. He also contacted my little sister and sent her screenshots from Grindr and sent her screenshots from old conversations from Leeds. My sister was like 19 at this point and he just sent WhatsApps from his phone and said, this is what your brother gets up to in his spare time. She's probably still traumatized from that, to be honest. I'm her big brother at the end of the day. And reading conversations of a particular nature, she didn't take it well, to say the least. She already knew about me though. That's a separate story. She found out. Facebook, delete your inboxes, everyone. I agreed to come back to Birmingham, guys. Um, I didn't, I didn't want to risk anything else going wrong. Yeah. The logic at that point is just accept whatever he says. Don't fight it because things will get worse. Look where they already are. You start then calculating in your brain what else could happen. I can't tell anyone about this. We were in Birmingham for November and December. In that time, I got roughed up again. This time, he, you know, took the razor one night randomly, um, took me to the spare bedroom, sat me on the floor, and then just took the razor and started shaving my scalp. Um, just all the hair that was growing back a little bit. He said the hair was growing back and it reminded him of what I looked like when I was cheating on him. So he wanted to remove it so he couldn't recognize me. So he shaved my hair off with a razor. He shaved my beard off with the razor. He also then took um, nail scissors and he cut my eyelashes off so that I wouldn't have lashes. They'd be right down, just dull. I just don't know how he got away with this. Like, I just don't, I just don't get it. Like, how could someone be so inhumane? And like, like, I get completely that you're going through it because like, he's completely got you. Like, he's completely fucked you, like, mm. in every way possible to the point of like, you you don't even yeah. know whether you have a say in anything or not. You, you, you don't have a say in anything that you're doing. He's cut your damn yeah. eyelashes off. Like, who, who, who does that? Right, you know, he didn't want me having eyelashes because he thought that they were quite nice. He liked my eyelashes and thought, you've got quite long, you know, luscious lashes. The last thing I want is for you to be blinking away, catching the attention of anyone outside. So we're going to cut them off. It's just so messed up. I wasn't in a position, girls, to talk to anybody, tell anybody. Mm. I had too many reasons in my head that I had created myself. Let's be honest, not to tell anybody. 
I know, but I really wish I wish I knew because I remember the I remember us being on FaceTime and I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, we what used to catch up on FaceTime, on? literally. Like once in a blue moon, like it was very like very random, like here and there, like once every six yeah. months or so, like maybe once. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think, do you know what's really weird? Yeah, is that I would like bump into you guys like here and there. Do you remember we I we randomly yes. bumped into each other in Hyde Park? We did. We did. So random. Who would think in a city the size of London that I would literally be thinking I'm going to go for a stroll with him uh, in the summer and uh, just walked into you. You're just sat there with your mates. <laughs> it was so crazy. Like the few times I bumped into you, and especially that day at yeah. Hyde Park, I remember. Yeah thinking like he was kind of I don't know if it's because you saw me and then you started walking up towards me but then he was just kind of behind you kind of being like all shy and coy and stuff and my yeah. you know my perception of you know I didn't know fucking jack shit obviously but and, and because mm-hmm. also we had like asked you about this as well before so many times like you know are you gay like, <laughs> tell us you know like we are yeah. LGBT yeah. like very friendly like you can trust yeah. All of this, like you know, just yeah. tell us we can feel it, and you were like, no, no, no. So then, when I was always I came, adamant, <laughs> always adamant, and I get that because you said, you know, at the time, you, you know, when we first asked you, it was like at the beginning of all our uni experiences together, and you yeah. said like, oh, you were still confused yourself, but then yeah. come the time where you know I met you in Hyde Park. I thought like, oh, um, Hakeem's like the more like confident, like outgoing one. And, you know, this guy's, the other guy's probably still in the closet. And, you know, Hakeem's probably just living his best life and they're just doing what they can. And that was my perception of like, oh, okay. Like they, you know, I know that they're blatantly going out, but it's okay because, and, and because I know you and your character, you know, from when we were like teenagers ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought, you know, there's nothing that can shake you. Like, you know, for a lot of what you're saying in this, in in your story, mm. you are just like a shell, you know, the, the way you're describing yourself, it's like a shell of a person, someone who just, you know, doesn't know what to think, what to do. Like, you know, your whole life is being turned upside down. And it's so crazy yeah. because from the person that I, I know you to be, I would, I just wouldn't think that anyone you know that that you would be you would become who you did mm. and that anyone would ever have the capability of of making you do that either do you know what I mean because you were so you know as much as you maybe didn't know you know what your sexuality and stuff was you knew who you were yeah. as a person as a friend as yeah. you know, liked and didn't like do you know what I mean you had all that yeah. other stuff figured out even if the question mark was just your sexuality yeah. everything else about you was totally figured out and you you know you couldn't be shaken by it you were who you were and there was I used to get told that yeah and, you, and there was nothing not that. to love either do you know what I, mean? <laughs> I just you know uh, I was never think it this way yeah and, I used to get told that you know my friends that stopped talking to me over time you know they used to make that comparison they would say you know you're not the person you used to be in the way that you've just described me, word for word, more or less. So it still fascinates me now hearing that. It's crazy how these, like, because they do this, they somehow, and I wouldn't even say that you were necessarily a vulnerable person, but perhaps the only way you were vulnerable was that question mark around your sexuality. Around the question mark, yes. And 
and then he's come and like been Aladdin, literally showing you the world, taking you on his yeah. like literally, yeah, <laughs> like the Middle East, like yeah. uh, UAE or whatever. Yeah, yeah. and um, and yeah, and then I I get that because then that, that's what like you know that's how your guard falls down. That's how you're like, oh, you know, this is nothing like I've ever had, and you know, this stuff like happens in movies, and like it's happening yeah. to me. And then you know, you trust that situation because you're like, these are all like really lovely things. But mm-hmm. then because that person's giving you that like one ounce of joy, mm-hmm. and then you know, we naturally, you know, if you're like good kind-hearted person like you are or just you know genuine then you mm-hmm. naturally just start giving yourself more towards that person you know like you do right you really yeah. to appreciate them and all of mm-hmm. this but then where that happens and then you know they start taking advantage of that and manipulating you and stuff you know that that's how it happens because I don't I just I just never Think that someone would do that to you and then you don't come across as a one I mean everyone has their own vulnerability. But that's the thing when you're in a bad relationship like that that person has literally completely taken you apart completely mm. like broken you and you will do anything to cover for that person yeah mm. and emotionally you don't necessarily hate them but there's a part of you that still wants to protect them you probably can't explain why but you want to protect them. It's like being on the run from the feds. And I get that to a degree because he, he, he one, got rid of all your friends, the people that know you since day dot, for you to, you know, for them to come out and say something. So he's made, you know, he's slowly, you know, broken that off. Then he, like, engulfed you into his whole friendship circle, his family, his everything. So everything is on his terms. So then Mm. anyone that you could talk to, actually their loyalties or, you know, what, you know, yeah, the loyalties pretty much stand with him first because they were friends with him first. And and then you don't really have anywhere to go because, you know, he's alienated your friends from yourself. However many years has passed, you maybe don't feel like you can talk to them. If you wanted to talk to your other friends, you know, that he's introduced you to, like you can't because then it's still all you don't know where the loyalties lie right it's with him and you know you may be thinking at this point but what did they make of it if Mm. we were a close group of friends him his mates and i were they aware and they were the fascinating thing is they were all aware of what was going on what i had done and what he had done in response but he's revered in such a way that no one wants to get involved. And the one person that did try and get involved out of his friendship circle, they ended up really heated. You know, it didn't, it didn't lead to any resolution. If anything, it just led to more hostility because he's then feeling yeah, like- because your ex-partner is like, oh fuck, I'm losing control of the situation. Yeah, my, my oh, friends are challenging me. They're trying to come for me, trying yeah, to help Yeah, me. and that's another yeah. example of him sort of maybe trying to put his friends in their own place and just be like, who are you to like question me type of thing. If, in all honesty, I agree with you 100% on that. I'm at a point where I look at that circle and the position that he plays in that. And I agree with you completely because- he doesn't want anyone to tell him that anything he's doing is right or wrong. He just wants no comment. 
where the fuck is this motherfucker right now? Like, what, what, like, have you, has he been <laughs> Like, what the? I'm telling him, I told him before, like, we need to go. I, I will go and, like, do, like, a whole Ty, parade outside his yard. <laughs> a whole parade. A whole Listen, parade. Listen, Nikki. Be, like, your son is fucking gay, abuser, bully, fucking, oh. I'm telling you, Nikki, listen, yeah. What? Bring the rubber bands, the Vaseline. Yeah, we'll go down there, sort it out. Couple I baseball bats. <laughs> I told you, like she would react like that. Like I was like, wait. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, I I know that had we known, we would never have. Never. 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 Never ever. At this point, I'm feeling like this needs a two part special because um, yeah, <laughs> I'm like two thirds the way through it. Yeah, and we're not even like you. We're not even. I like, would really we love got to the bit of how you've even managed to leave him. Yeah. Exactly, and you know that's the part. That's the game changer. Like that is the part yeah. because I am now. Thankfully, for anyone <laughs> that cares remotely for this person that they've never met in their lives, that they 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 might not ever meet in their lives, that's listening to your podcast. You know, it does get better, and it did, and it gets a lot better, and it has done. I've certainly, I you know, I've walked that path myself, and I still am. Just I can't fathom it, and it is. I don't know. Sorry, it was really, really hard to hear. It was really, really hard to hear. You no, know, the day that I called Natasha, Tasha will remember this. You know, in January twenty twenty one, when I spoke to Tash. Um, we spoke at length, I mean, hours, and I told Tash everything. And it was the first time in all these years of being, you know, close to you guys that I had been genuinely and sincerely honest. Yeah. And I told Tash everything. And uh, Tash reacted in the same way. If I'm honest with you, I think Tash was a bit roughed up that night, to be honest. That night, for a few days, for a good few days. I don't think, um, I remember Tash messaging me saying like, what the fuck? (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, what the fuck? You know, um, it was a lot. And that's why I hope, honestly, that... um, Whoever listens to this hopefully doesn't feel too dampened by it just because I can promise you with my story at least there is a brilliant brilliant silver lining ultimately but there's a bit more to go before it gets to that if um if everyone can hold on for a little bit longer including yourselves that it would be lovely to share that with you lot. It would mean a lot to me. Well, it's it's a it's lovely that you even want to share it with us and that you have done so so eloquently and clearly and you know, you haven't even really like flinched. You know, I've I've I don't know if Tasha's seen that like, I've been like having like small little tears like listening I, to I you saw. and I just, you know, really taking it all in and it's 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 a lot. There's a lots of people especially because of the line of work I'm in, I actually, you know, come across domestic violence victims all the time. And mm-hmm. it is a lot. It is no easy thing to talk about any one experience at all. Definitely. 
um especially in the way that you are and the fact that you know you want to 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 be able to help other people and um you know and and this is like the beauty of of why you know we created two chickpeas in the podcast or why podcasts are you know great in general in the sense that you know these stories it just takes one person's story to be like oh I'm gonna have the courage to go and do this now or yeah. I have perception now like I've never you know I never knew that before you know that's it's true it, yeah. these conversations are just so important you know you know a couple of years ago so this whole relationship spanned seven years and there came a point where I started to YouTube I would look up on YouTube, I'd go on private browser and I'd go on YouTube and I would try and find, in all honesty, I used to try and find a video of a, and it was very, you know, I wanted something so specific. It's like I was trying to look for an angel on YouTube. I wanted to find a South Asian male, preferably from somewhere in the West, the UK, the US, Canada, somewhere here who's been in a relationship like I was, who's gone through something. And then at the end of the video or at whatever point of the video it is, tells me what I'm meant to do. At what point does it get better? At what point does it change? And when it does, what do, what do I then do? And I swear, I spent ages months on end secretly looking for this video and you know you find videos from other ethnic minorities and their stories what they've been through but i just felt like i'd be watching 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 and my heart just wouldn't mm. the video wouldn't speak to my heart i'd still somehow be closed off i'd somehow still feel like yeah but he doesn't get it or yeah but he doesn't Go for, he didn't go through that. It's like you said, no two stories are ever going to be perfectly matched in terms of the representation of the South Asian male, Muslim, you know, like that British born mm. me walking down the roads in a beanie and a hoodie. Yeah. With my, my, my air ones and what have you going through this, I couldn't find a video. It used to upset me a lot. I used to feel like if no one on YouTube of all places, as a young person, I'm thinking, you know, YouTube is the encyclopedia of life. If it ain't on YouTube, it don't exist. So to me, I was thinking my story don't exist. So who, who am I to tell anyone at that point? Who am I going to go to for help? You know, if there's going to be a guy or a girl or anyone that listens to my description, you know, five, nine, decent looking, uh, going through all of this. Yeah. Um, I hope that they don't sit any longer looking for someone like them, someone that gets it. Cause it was a, it was a shit search. until I basically had to be the one in all honesty for my particular story they'll want to pick up the pen and basically write the textbook now. So you know what? Don't worry, I got you. Like, I went through it, but it's all right. Because now we've got, we've got an advocate now. We've got a candidate here that, you know, has uh, lived through it, came out of it. 
and is on a pathway to happiness. So here it is. And hopefully, you know, we can work together to help. I think I need a Kit Kat. <laughs> I need a break. I need a Kit Kat. Anyone else with me? 